This is Pocket Watching with JT, the call-in financial talk show focused on helping you get your money right. Jason Thornton is a certified financial planner licensed in both tax and investments. Now, this is not personal financial advice. This is JT's real reaction to all your money and business questions. Are you deep in debt, living paycheck to paycheck and looking for a way out? Call Pocket Watching with JT, the financial advisor for the people. Need more? Book your personal consultation with my man JT at pocketwatcher.net. Now, let's go pocket watching. Hey, pocket watchers. Welcome to Pocket Watching with JT. It is Money Mondays. Now, for those of you who are unaware, the uninitiated on Money Mondays, this is the main show where I really want you guys to call in. Let me know what's going on in your personal financial life, business questions, money questions. Call me up. 515-602-9778. That's 515-602-9778. Give the pocket watcher a call and I will do the best I can to give you a financial tip that can help you in your everyday life. Because that's what this is about. This is about giving you financial information that you can actually use. It's not scammer advice, you know, <laughs> information that you can actually use to help you achieve your goals. All right. So big shout out to the over 59,000 of you that hit that subscribe button. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Make sure you hit the like button on this live stream right now. Hit that like button and share. Share it. If you know that there's people out there that have money questions and they don't have a personal relationship with a certified financial planner where they could just call them up, Say, hey, I got this going on. What should I do? Share the content. Share it. Give them an opportunity to get their questions answered live on the air so that they can achieve their financial goals. But before I start to take on calls, we need to have a conversation, people. All right, We need to have a conversation because apparently there's something missing in the way that we look at our money problems, okay? There's something missing. And your brother, the pocket watcher, I'm here to help you get clarity on what's really going on. So what am I talking about? I'm talking about, you know, the real reason why people, most people who live paycheck to paycheck, why they have a financial problem, okay? Because, yes, I could easily tell you about how you can get out of the financial problem, right? If you're someone who's deep in debt, if you're living paycheck to paycheck, I can give you recommendations on how you can improve your financial situation. But, but slow down. See, I can give you the recommendations on what to do, but if we don't solve the core problem, if we don't identify what is causing the issue, you're just going to end up right back in the same mess where I found you originally. So I'm trying to give you some insight. My years of experience as a financial advisor, I'm trying to give you the insight of why, not 100%, but probably over 90, 
why most people live paycheck to paycheck. Now, I know many of you bleeding heart liberals, you will say the reason why most people live paycheck to paycheck is because of the evil corporations. It's the companies that they work for. The companies that they work for, these evil corporations, they don't pay a living wage. I know that's what you're going to say. I see it in my comments. I see it in my DMs. I know you people. Don't worry about it. I know you. You're going to say, if only these evil corporations, if they would pay their workers a livable wage, everything would be fine. Everything would be perfect. If the evil CEOs of these Fortune 500 companies, right? If these evil CEOs would simply cut back, maybe take instead of $50 million salary, they should just take a $20 million salary and everybody else can eat. That's what some people would say. Well, my question to you is, what surveys have you done to verify that assumption? Who have you spoken with to verify that that's the reason why people live paycheck to paycheck? How many people have you counseled and worked with who are living in debt, who live paycheck to paycheck? Do you really understand the core source of their problem? Now, I'm saying that, you know, in a general way. I know most of you have never done that. I have. That's why you're here. Why, why would you be on a finance channel on a Monday night and I'm not flashy? I don't have a Lamborghini behind me. I don't have a Rolex on my wrist. I'm not promising you that I can teach you how to make $30,000 in the next 30 days. Right? I'm not telling you how you can make millions and millions of dollars renting your car. Right? I'm giving you common sense financial principles and you're here. So as long as you're here, you might as well understand the core reason. All right. So here we go. Most people will say the reason why they live paycheck to paycheck is because they have an income problem. Right, an income problem. What do you mean? That means they just don't make enough money. If they could simply get a raise, make another twenty, thirty thousand dollars, whatever it is, whatever it is. If I simply made more money, all of my financial problems would go away. That's what some people will tell you. But those very same people. They don't even have a budget. What is a budget? A budget is a plan for your money. It's written out. You can see exactly how much money comes in the door a month. And you give each dollar an assignment. You give it a job. You tell that money where it's going to go. You make sure you take care of all of your needs, the necessities first. Then when all of the necessities are done, then you take a look at what's left. And what's left, you should be able to have enough money to pay for 
all of your saving, your investing, and your wants. The problem is most people don't have a budget. They just spend how they feel. Whenever they get an urge, a feeling to spend money, they do. And even if they don't have the money in cash, if they don't have the money in the bank, they still spend whenever they have the urge to spend because they have some sort of access to credit. But yet and still they'll say if they only made more money, they wouldn't have a problem. Okay. Now, some will say, well, let's take, for example, the low-income worker that's only making around $28,000 a year. How could this person ever become financially stable on $28,000 a year? They make $28,000 a year, and they have two kids. What can this person do? Well, there were several choices that that person made that led them to that point. Let's not act as if this person was born in this predicament. All right? Two words. Personal responsibility. All right? This person made a lot of choices in their lives that led them to the point where they're an adult to some degree. To some degree, they're an adult, they have two kids, and they make $28,000 a year. All right. After we take into account the several bad mistakes this person has already made in their life, you still have to look and say, okay, this person still doesn't have a budget, believe it or not. A person that makes $28,000 a year, they have two kids, and still they live without a budget. They spend still how they feel. Now you say, well, they don't have that much money. Well, wait. A person with two kids making $28,000 a year, they most likely have some government benefits that help bridge the gap of their necessities and the money that they have. So if they have money coming in from government benefits that help pay for food, groceries, that helps. If they have government benefits that help bridge the gap for their housing costs, that also helps. But yet and still, you will still find that this individual does not have a budget. And they will spend and spend and spend until there's no money left because they know there's more money coming next month. So, if income is not the problem, because I'm telling you, income is not the issue. What is the issue? The issue is spending. Most people who live paycheck to paycheck, you do not have an income problem at its core. Now, income may be a part of it, but it's not the core problem. The core problem is your spending. And that's the thing that you have the most control over. You have the most control over how you spend your money. And that is normally the biggest issue 
of why you're broke. Why you live paycheck to paycheck. You have no control over your spending. As soon as money hits your hand, you're throwing it right back out the door. You have no budget. You have no plan. And you're wanting more money. As if more money is going to solve your problem. But I'm telling you, the more money that you make, the more dollars that find its way into your hands, all you do is find new ways to spend the new money. The person who lives paycheck to paycheck with $28,000 a year is the very same person that will live paycheck to paycheck making $50,000 a year or $80,000 a year. Why? The money at its core is not the problem. The problem is their inability to create a budget, stick to the plan, and do what's necessary as a responsible adult. Now, why they don't have this ability? I mean, listen, I'm not sure. I'm not aware of who taught them the very basic things of being an adult is. But for some reason, there's a disconnect between you should not spend more than you have. You shouldn't even spend what you have. You should be spending less than what you have. And how can you do that? How can you spend less than you have if you don't have a budget? It's, the e it's one of the easiest things that you can do to simply sit down and write out all your funds that come in the door. Most of you just have a W-2 job. So you just write down, okay, how much money do I get after taxes? Okay, great. Then after you figure out how much money you get after taxes, then you take a look at all your core bills, the things you have to spend money on. Not the things you want to spend money on the things you have to spend money on. You just go through that and you take a look and you say, okay, all right, these are the things that I have to spend my money on. Now, the question is, do you still have any money left? Because if you don't have any money left just on your needs, that means you are living way beyond your means. You got a couple of options. You can either cut back, which most people don't want to do, or you got to find ways to make more money. That's what adults do. Adults don't sit around and complain about how the world is against them. Adults don't sit around and complain about what other people have, right? Because it doesn't matter what other people have. Now, if other people are stealing from you to have it, eh, then you got, you got a legitimate gripe there. <laughs> if other people are literally stealing from you, then okay. But just because someone has more than you, it does not necessarily mean that they got those things by some nefarious ways or that the world is unfair. It could very well be that you simply have not put in the right amount of work to get the things that others may have. Now, understand we live in a world full of fantasies and fakes. You wake up and you go through your timeline and you see a lot of people with a lot of stuff that you would like to have. And you scratch your head and you try to figure out how could 
everybody on my timeline have this? How can everybody on Facebook have that? How could that be? How can I be the only one out here struggling? It's because they're faking. You are not the only one struggling. Based on the numbers, <laughs> from, from what we see from the numbers that we get from the census, the numbers that we get from the Federal Reserve, if you're struggling right now, don't feel like you're alone. Very, very many people are. If I had to bet, probably over 75% of the people that you follow on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, whatever, they're struggling also. They're just lying. That's all. They're just presenting the very best representation of their life that they can. But the reality is they are also struggling. They just lie to you, which creates this weird feedback loop of trying to impress one another and trying to act as if everyone is doing so well and trying to act as if you know everybody is a multimillionaire, which reality states that you're not. Everybody can go out and eat on the weekends, every weekend, not just a weekend where there's a special occasion, a celebration. No, 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 no. We go out and we eat holiday meals. This is, just think about this. I remember as a child, there was a difference between a regular dinner that you would have and a holiday meal. Holiday meals were like ridiculous. You're talking about Thanksgiving, Christmas, Easter, birthdays. Those are holiday meals. Then there was regular dinner. Regular dinner was fine, but a holiday meal is amazing. What happened? Did I, I must have slipped into an alternative reality where everybody eats holiday meals every day. Every day is a holiday meal. Every day is like you are having the greatest day that anybody could ever have when that's not reality. You have to at some point pump your brakes. At some point you have to just say, whoa, what am I doing? The energy and the effort that it takes to put up this weird persona of I live the greatest life that anyone could ever dream. Isn't that tiring? Like, I mean, when do you sit back and really just take a deep breath and just take off all of this pressure to try to impress people that you went to high school with that you don't see other than maybe Facebook as if your life turned out perfect. Guess what? Nobody's life has turned out perfect. Now, there are people who have maybe a, an easier life than others that also contributes to the choices that they made at earlier points in their life. But no one's life is perfect. There are people right now who would assume that if they hit the lottery and they became a millionaire, their life would be perfect. There's, there's people out here that actually believe, they, they sincerely believe that if they had a million dollars in the bank, their life would be perfect. Take it from me. Listen, I've been doing this for years, doing this for years. And I can tell you right now, 
$1 million, $10 million, $100 million would not turn whatever life that you currently have to perfect. It won't do it. You can get that concept out of your mind right now. It's not going to do it. How do you know? Well, let's just think about this. You have the NBA draft. You have the NFL draft. Something that people crowd around their TVs in the millions to watch, right? Think about what you're watching. When you watch the NBA draft, when you watch the NFL draft, what are you looking at? You are looking at young men in their either late teens or early 20s becoming millionaires in a moment. I mean, in a moment, they become, they walk up on the stage, probably broke. By the time they walk off the stage, in all meaningful purpose, they're millionaires. But are their lives perfect? Nah. Because with that money comes pressure. When that money comes, that means now they have to perform. And if their performance is not up to the standard, what that money should dictate, there's problems. Well, some of you will say, well, JT, you're talking about athletes and entertainers. If you gave me a million dollars, I'm good. I'm not going to have a problem. Okay. Well, let's have a conversation about lottery winners and people who win money gambling on casino boats and stuff like that. Most of them end up broke. Most of them end up filing for bankruptcy in about a five to seven year window. Most of them are not in a position where that new wealth that they instantly got transfers from them and then makes it way to the next generation. Most of them, many of them, I would say, many of them, when they get uh, interviewed years later, many of them actually say they wish they never won the money. Take a minute to let that soak in. Many of you right now, you wish you had a million dollars. You wish that for whatever circumstance, a million dollars would appear in your bank account. But we have people who did have that happen to them. They did, in an instant, go from normal or below normal to millionaire. In an instant. But then when they're interviewed later in life, they will admit they kind of wish they never got the money. Once again, if you live paycheck to paycheck, if you're deep in debt, it's not because, solely, not because you have an income problem. It's mainly because you have a spending problem and your ability to manage money never developed. It's just never, it never came. You never gained the ability to manage money properly when you had a little bit of money. 
So then if for some reason you get a lot of money, the management skills don't come automatically. Right? I mean, just, just, just think about this. A child who can barely ride a bike with training wheels, can't ride it without training wheels, barely can ride it with training wheels. What makes you think that they can ride a motorcycle? They can barely ride a bike with training wheels on and out of nowhere, a motorcycle appears. Any sane and rational person would say, oh, that child should never hop on that motorcycle. Just because they have access to it doesn't mean that they know how to properly manage that machine. They can't do it. That's how money is, people. That's how money is. When you have little money, that's the best time to train how to manage. You don't have a lot of distractions. You're making $30,000 a year. You have no excuse. Why don't you have a budget that shows how much money you make a month? Why don't you have a budget that shows how much money you have to pay for your necessities? How much money you're going to set aside to save? How much money that you maybe should invest if you if not pay down debt? You're only making $30,000 a year. What, what else do you have to do? But there it is. That's the problem. That's the thing that you really need to think about. That's the thing that is the core of the issue. What are you going to do with the money? Many of you have seen my series of showing how the PPP loan scammers, not only are they getting caught, that's hilarious. The fact that they're getting caught, I mean, it's, who did, I mean, if you, if you signed up for a small business loan and you never had a business before, you should have known you was going to get caught. But that, 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 that's a secondary point. The main point that I'm trying to get to is if you've seen these videos that I've done on the PPP loan scammers, have you noticed how they spent the money? Just, just think about it. The ways that they spent this money. Some people maybe only got $20,000. Only. Like for them, that was a lot of money. They're broke right now. I know people. <laughs> or I'm aware of people. Right, not like I know them, know them, but I'm a, I'm aware of people. That's better. Who got the twenty thousand dollars? They're broke right now. Right now they're broke. I'm aware of people who got hundreds of thousands of dollars, and they are broke right now. Broke. Well, I thought I thought money was a problem. I thought income was a problem. Well, clearly income can't be the problem. Because people received what they were wishing for. A person who makes $27,000 a year, they got $20,000 like that and didn't even have to pay it back. A person that makes $45,000, $80,000 a year, they got hundreds of thousands of dollars just like that. But where did the money go? In the air. It went toward buying 
fancy cars that the government is taking back. It went to buying fancy homes that the government is taking back. It went towards expensive trips and BBLs and you know all these things. Now, I don't think the government can take that BBL back, but uh, you know, it's gonna be tough. It's gonna be tough on you. I don't think you uh you get the massages and whatnot in prison. And I don't think that you're able to keep that up and get your your scar management uh, you know down and whatnot when you're in prison. But we'll see. So that's it. That's that is the pocket watcher's perspective on the core problem of why people live paycheck to paycheck. It is not the income. The income may be a part of it, but it's not the core issue. The core issue, I will say it over and over again, is your spending. Until you get your spending under control, you will always live paycheck to paycheck, regardless of the amount of money that you make. It does not matter. So, hey, I want to hear from you now. Phone lines are open. Give me a call. 515-602-9778. 515-602-9778. I need you guys to get these likes up. We got over 200 people in here, and I appreciate each and every one of you. So lines are open. Let's get these likes up, and I will be right back. Hi, I'm Mike Evans with More Money. Tell me, what do you know about More Money? Brother, all I know is I was here last night getting my taxes done, and today there's more money all the way. No and how about you? In here yesterday, back today to get my check. Smoke money stuff is real. I'm more money for life. Out of slow money? Well, come to more money, because we about that. More money taxes. And once again, it's on. And I got the hookup. <laughs> more money taxes. Come down and see us, and you'll be glad that you did. At Mo Money Taxes, you're more than just another number. This year, we're offering our 30-second refunds to go along with our next-day refunds. Come down and see us, and you'll be glad that you did. Continuing saga of Mo Money Taxes. Norfolk Police are investigating the tax preparer, and they have alerted the IRS about customers' complaints. Where's my check? That's the question all of these people want answered. The IRS is basically verifying to us that their, our money is here in their bank account. Friday, crowds gathered at Mo Money Taxes in Norfolk. On Granby Street, owner Mario Brady told us he printed 50 checks and 30 did not clear. The banks have refused to cash their checks saying that there is fake. I mean, that is unacceptable. Federal agents raided the headquarters of Mo Money Taxes in Tennessee this morning. You may remember, tell on your side, I traveled to Memphis for local more money customers who claimed they didn't receive their refund. We continue to follow another developing story. New tonight, tensions continue to run high as customers wait for their tax returns that they say were not getting from Mo Money Taxes. You can see the level of anger just a few hours ago at this Norfolk location off Brambleton. Angry customers who say they were promised refund checks and didn't get them broke windows and police were called to break up the angry crowd. That's just ridiculous. Marcus Eves, a former customer who says he filed his taxes with Mo Money in 2007, is worried about what we recently uncovered behind this Mo Money Tax Services location on Elvis Presley. This is wrong for, you know, files to be out here. This is people's personal information that anybody could have come by and gotten. Investigators are now looking into the discovery of thousands of documents thrown into three dumpsters behind the facility. 
Shortly after authorities arrived on scene and put up crime scene tape, so did Marky Granberry with Mo Money Taxes. Normally, uh, we would have all files shredded uh, and, and uh, shredded or whatever, but this we don't throw files in the garbage can. I asked him what happened and why the documents were not shredded. Our lease was up on this operation, so I assume the landlord went inside of the location and for whatever reason, he decided to throw the files in a dumpster. All right, we are back. I want to give a shout out to... Looks like Jay Leather in the building with the super chat. Thank you. Said turning my passion into my business this year, post retiring from the Navy. Most of my materials were purchased before 2022. How do I explain goods uh, produced with <laughs> darn near zero raw materials to the IRS? Well, I mean, all right, so I'm assuming this is some sort of product-based business, and you said that you bought most of these materials prior to 2022. So normally, I mean, you should contact a local accountant that, you know, you need to build a relationship with this accountant. But most likely that accountant is going to tell you that you can write this up as, you know, a startup cost for the business, even though these were costs that occurred prior to the business actually being official and you actually preparing a tax return with this business profit and loss statement in there. But contact a an accountant that deals with uh, small business owners and they will be able to counsel you on the way that you can write up the, the cost. Um, you got to find some way to justify the cost of these materials, but there should be a way that you'll be able to use this as a write-off, even though you bought it in a previous year. As long as you didn't take the deduction already, you should be fine. All right. So we got a caller from 779 area code. Let me bring you up. Just make sure you talk to me straight to the phone. All right. Straight to the phone. Whatever device you're listening to me to, go ahead and turn that down. Talk to me straight to the phone. Caller from 779 area code. You're live on the air with Pocket Watching with JT. What's going on? Hey, JT. Yes, sir. Go ahead. Hey, nice to speak to you again. It's the second time I called in. All right. I actually just uh, had a question. Tonight is sort of more of a, a general night, correct? Yes. Yes. Okay. All right. I ain't going to be off topic or anything. <laughs> Are uh, you good? So I was going to ask. Um, I was, uh, I've been like investing heavily in like buying gold and stuff because I'm, a, I was aware that there was a recession coming, uh, quite a, quite a bit ago. Uh-huh. Uh, do you think that's a good investment? Like in general, cause I know you can't answer specific questions, but yeah, in do general, you personally believe it will be a good investment. Now, nah, how old are you? Uh, what? 24? No, I don't, I don't believe that's a good investment for someone that's 24. And let me explain why. Precious metals, and that's what gold falls under, precious metals is something right. that uh, normally people invest in as a preservation of their capital during times of inflation, okay? Right. But, but you're young, okay? And the fact that mm -hmm. you have decades, like literally decades, before you need to actually use this money that you're investing, what you're doing is you're losing out on the opportunity to buy equities for cheap. Every time that you're buying gold right now, 
we're talking about opportunity costs, right? When you do one thing, that right. means you can't do another thing. Now, I understand we live in a world where people think you can have it all and you can do it all, but that's not reality, right? So we're dealing with opportunity right. costs. Every time you buy gold and you feel like, okay, great, I'm buying something that doesn't dip in value by a large amount. While everything else is dipping in value, the gold that you have, right. okay, I understand that part. But the issue is normally recessions are short-term things. Recessions don't last 10, 15, 20 years. They're normally a short-term mm. thing. So while the market is down and you're buying gold, right? The market's down. Yeah. You could buy more in equities today than you could three months ago or a year ago because the market's down. Okay. And if you're not going to use this money for the next 20 or 30 years, you're losing out on the opportunity to ride the wave of appreciating assets up and you're going to stay right here with the gold where okay. you bought it at. Right. <laughs> so, no, I don't think that's okay. a good investment for someone of your age. Okay. Do you think the market is, is done falling? Because that's, that's what I was more worried about. Like, putting uh. money in and then it just keeps going down. All right. So you would be you someone, you're, you're someone that's trying to time the market. All right. That's not going to yeah. work. Don't try to time <laughs> the market. What you what I would suggest generally to any client that would come my path or just someone that I'm talking to, uh, you know, on the street, you don't want to try to time the market right. and try to figure out, OK, where's the bottom? Because every time you think you found the bottom, it's going to be something deeper or the reverse can happen. So what you normally should do right. and what anybody who's in the investing world should be doing right now, you should be dollar cost averaging. You should be what I would do and what. I'm personally doing not just what I would do, but literally what I am doing. I am buying right. into index funds very cheaply every week mm -hmm. at the virtually the same dollar amount every freaking week. And things like S&P 500, Invesco QQQ, I'm just buying. This is what I'm doing. I'm telling you to you know, buy these specific things. But I do index funds very cheap. And yes, they are on the way down relative to where we were, you know, maybe about a year or so ago. But that's a good thing for me. Right. And I just do it every yeah. week, same dollar amount. So if the market's down, great for me. If the market's a little up, I don't care. I'm consistently investing. I'm not trying to time the market. Now, if I see a huge dip because I have discipline, I may even invest more. But the average person does not have right. that discipline. The average person is going to go okay. with the crowd. So when you see everybody else running, you run. And when you see a big dip, most people won't say, oh, great. Now it's time to buy. Most people will be afraid and sell. But you avoid that trap yeah. when you're simply dollar cost averaging. If you have a fully funded emergency savings fund, it doesn't matter to you. Because most people run out right. of the market because why? Because they don't have the cash for an emergency. So when they see their yeah. investment dip 20%, they can't take a hit like that because if they lose their job, yeah. they have no money. So they cash out, they lock in the L. But people like hopefully you and myself who have the cash and we're investing, we get to capitalize yeah. on their poor planning 
and we get to buy cheap. That's just how it works. That makes a lot, a lot more sense. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. Oh yeah, sure. Thank you for calling. I appreciate it. Have a good one. All right. Have a good night, JJ. All right. All right, people. All right, people. Give me a call. 515-602-9778. But I do want to go and I need to go to some of these emails real quick because people have been emailing me. I haven't been <laughs> I haven't been catching up with a lot of these emails. So I apologize. I'm gonna get to some of these emails right now. All right, so here we go. I got a question from Martis. M-A-R-T-I-U-S. Martis. I think that's Martis. Uh, Martis says, I donated a card to charity back in 2014-2015. I surrendered the title to the charity at the time. Fast forward to today, a collection company contacted me stating that I owe them for towing the vehicle and disposal. I haven't, uh, I haven't even thought about the card since it was donated. Can this collection agency charge me for a car that has not been in my possession for a year? Can I fight this on my credit report? Well, there's a couple of things that you need to do immediately. Number one, you need to contact the charity that you donated the car to. I don't understand why that wasn't reconciled because... Listen, I, I, I've been in this industry. My, my father owns a, a scrap metal recycling business. And there's different ways that things can be done, right? So when you donate your car, you can donate your car depending on what shape the car is in. It can be done a couple of different ways. Now, if your car is in a good resale uh, shape, then you can donate your car you'll probably get a Kelly Blue Book value donation slip to be able to write that off on your taxes. Then the organization that you donated the car to, they are ultimately going to get the money for the resale of the car. So whatever that car was sold for, minus whatever administrative fees that the company that sold the car has to do, the charitable organization gets that money. Now, if your car is in a condition where it really, no one wants this car, it's not going to be resold, then it's probably going to go to a place like my father owns, a scrapyard. And you would still be able to get a donation slip for the value of the car that you can write off on your taxes. And then the organization that you donated it to, they will get the dollar uh, amount that the scrap company scrapped the car for. So if they you know, we're buying junk cars for $250. Well, the, <laughs> the organization will get to $250. Everybody should be good. I don't understand why you're being charged for fees for the towing and the disposal of the car. That should have been took out of whatever money whoever ultimately got in the deal. Someone got money in this deal. Either a... Um, a used car lot or someone who sold the car, they got money and then they should have took their fee and then gave the charitable organization the money or a scrap company got the car and then they should take the fee for towing the car and stuff like that out of whatever money they gave to the organization. So the number one thing you need to do is contact whoever you signed over the car to because if you signed that car over to that organization, and there were no fees associated with the towing and whatnot 
to you at that point, to me, that would mean whatever fees associated with the towing should go to the organization, that the organization never paid the uh, the fees. So you should probably contact this uh, collection agency to get an idea of at what point was this debt created. If this debt was created after you signed over the title, now you have something to really actually fight this collection agency with, right? If, they, if it shows a date after you signed over the title, then you need to really make sure that this uh, nonprofit organization do what they need to do. Now, if it shows a date before you signed it over, now you got some more work that you're going to need to do. You need to, one, find out, okay, who ultimately got the money for the car? Because you didn't because you donated it. So you're going to have to do a little bit more uh, homework on trying to figure out who actually got money for the car. How much money did they get for the car? And then you need to go after them and say, hey, you need to pay the fees for the towing of this car because that's not what I was supposed to do. I donated the car. The fees come out of that. So hopefully that helps go through that uh, route. And then you'll actually have something on paper where you can actually deal with this uh, this company. Hey, we got debt free dad in the building says uh, people that <laughs> people want gas, groceries, and houses uh, to be low to buy, but <laughs> when stocks are low, they sell. Listen, I mean, I know you know, I know you know debt free dad, but the thing is, the psychology of money is a weird thing. People do not think of money in the same way that they logically think of other things, right? I tell people all the time, it's like, listen, if you had a favorite pair of shoes or if you had a favorite dress or you had a favorite whatever, a car, doesn't matter what it is. If someone was to tell you, hey, this car is on sale, this dress is on sale, these shoes are on sale. You know, you love Jordans. Jordans cost, I don't know what Jordans cost. I'm just throwing out a number. Jordans cost $200. But right now, Jordans cost $175 or $150. Everybody would be running to the store to buy these Jordans that are on sale. Because to them, just because the price is less, the value of the product to them is the same. There's no less value they're still jordans just for some whatever reason the store has them on sale well that's the same thing when it comes to equities in a general state now if you're dealing with a particular business that is doing bad based on its own performance that's a totally different thing but that's why i buy index funds when you buy index funds you don't have to worry one two three companies may do terrible but the industry within itself are just the top 500 companies in the U.S. is going to be fine. So, yeah, it's just psychology of money is weird, man. It's weird. People don't think of it in the way that they in the way that they should. They just think of it as a herd mentality of, OK, if everyone's selling, I want to sell. And it's sad. All right, we got caller from 904, area code, caller from 904. Make sure you talk to me straight through the phone, whatever device you're listening to me on. Go ahead and turn that down. Then after you, I got caller from 480. So 904, then 480. Just make sure you talk to me straight through the phone. So caller from 904, you're live on the air with Pocket Watching with JT. How can I help you? 
Hey, JT, how's it going? Good, good. Thanks for calling. A uh, couple questions. Mm-hmm. So I heard the first one of the first callers talk about um, gold or precious, precious metals. Right. And I heard your answer and it made a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. But I kind of wanted to pick your brain, get your thoughts on what if you had a patient who, uh, a, not patient, a, a customer who had a um, well-paying job, um, mm-hmm. fully vested in 401k, uh, had their emergency savings fund, right. but was on the heavier end, maybe six or seven months or something like that. Okay. What if they wanted to keep a portion of that emergency savings fund in cash and cash equivalents, some stocks, precious metals? What would be your thoughts on that? Oh, well, no, no. I mean, the, if you have an emergency savings fund, it needs to be in cash. An emergency savings fund yeah. needs to be in cash, be it if it's, uh, you know, even if it is a checking account, which I would say it shouldn't be a checking account, it should be a savings account, a money market account, worst case scenario, CD, but you want it to be in something that is not technically an investment, something where the principal is never, ever at jeopardy. And you're talking about cash equivalencies, not something that's in the stock market or anything like that, or precious metals. Not even? No, not not the emergency oh, okay, savings. Not even precious metals. Okay. No, no. No, okay. Not at all. Okay. Makes sense. I just kind of want to get your thoughts on that. If they wanted to keep it, you know, like three months in cash, three months, or, you know, kind of broken up in what would be called cash equivalents, but that makes sense. No, um, no, no. My second question was, my second question would be, um, I get a lot, I see a lot of misconceptions about net worth mm-hmm. and what it really is mm-hmm. and how important it is. Could you like, touch on that as far as your perspective of what net worth is and when you're looking at financial stability or somebody's financial prowess, uh-huh. what you really should be looking at? All right. So simply put, your net worth is all of your assets minus your debt, right? So in the accounting equation is assets equal liabilities plus owner's equity, right? Or you could just think of it as right. obviously you have all the stuff that you got. And the question is, how did you get it? <laughs> right. So if you got stuff, you had to get that stuff somehow. You either got it through debt, which would create liabilities. Right. So if you have a car and you have a car note, that means you got that car most likely through some combination of debt, which was the note. And whatever down payment that you put down would be considered the owner's equity. Right. So we just look at the formula right. of all your assets minus your debt. That's your net worth. The reason why that number is important is because a positive number means you're in a situation where you could, if you wanted to, be out of debt because you have enough equity and assets that could pay off your debt and you don't owe anybody. When that number is negative, you're in a bad financial situation, meaning if for whatever reason your debtors decide to call your debt you would not have enough assets to pay off the debt and you would technically be bankrupt. That's that's why it's important. And the way that I look at it is just like that. Positive net worth means you can pay off whatever debt and you'll be okay. Negative net worth, you're virtually bankrupt and you're really just right. skating on thin ice. So how would you compare that or relate that in importance to maybe cash flow, cash on hands, 
how much you make biweekly or monthly. And the reason I ask that question is mm-hmm. I get I, I completely understand and, and agree with you when you talk about net worth, but sometimes right. I feel like it's a little misleading because if the net worth is all equity, that money is not realized. Like you don't have it. You could have it, mm. but you don't have it. So how does how do you how do you reconcile those two things? Okay. So after you get to the point where you do have a positive net worth, right? So the positive network box is checked. The question is, okay, right. what is the source of the net worth? If the source of the net worth, if it's a lot in, let's say, your home, your personal home, you can still technically be in a position where you're living paycheck to paycheck based on your cash flow. Right. So while you are great, you have a positive net worth, you can still be paycheck to paycheck. So the question has to be had, okay, how much in cash do you have and how much in your cash flow is actually positive at the end of the month? So yeah, you want to check box D, I've got a positive net worth, but you still want to be cash flow positive. And the only way you're going to get cash flow positive is by having a budget. So that's another thing that you have to focus on. But my thing is, if you were able to get a positive net worth by, let's say, paying off your home or greatly paying off that home, I have to assume- You should have positive cash flow. You have positive cash flow and you have a budget. But there's situations where yeah. that that may not be the case. Sometimes people inherit uh, property, and you know, so they got this high uh, net worth, but their cash flow negative. Then there's some more work that we have to do. But it's a balance between the two. Awesome. Appreciate you explaining that. Absolutely. Well, all right, boss. Thank you. If you got no other questions, I'm gonna move on to the next one. Thank you so much. All right, so we got caller from 480, then caller from 516. So make sure you talk to me straight through the phone and turn down whatever device you're listening to me on. So caller from 480, you're live on the air. What's going on? Hey, JT, can you hear me? Yes, ma'am. Go right ahead. Oh, awesome. Um, Okay, so my question is, I have about 30000 in student loan debt. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's pretty, I mean, and I have, and I have a mortgage. So, um, my mortgage is about, the balance is like 282 when I checked it today. Okay. So my question is, I want to pay off the mortgage. I don't want to go before 30 years. Ideally, I would like to pay it off in 15 or less. I have about 80,000 in cash, uh, 24, about 24,000 of that is emergency funds. Mm-hmm. So my question to you is, should I focus on just paying off the student loan or paying off the house? All right. So I'm going to give you the general advice that I would give anybody in this situation. All right. When it comes to personal finance, there is an order of operations, meaning we take a look at certain things that you have to do in a certain order. If you do it out of order, you may get it wrong. Okay, and when we're talking about paying off debt, your home is normally last, even though personally you would feel better if you would pay off the house a little earlier. I'm with you on that. Yeah. But not with this student loan debt. With the amount of cash that you have saved up, this student loan debt is a petty little debt that you need to go ahead and pay off, especially if you're actually using the education to make the money that you're making. 
right? If you're using yeah. the education that you got, that you got this student loan debt, that if that is the source of how you're able to make the money that you make, you you should feel extremely proud to be able to write a check and get rid of this $30,000 student loan debt. Then after okay. that is done, go ahead and you know focus on trying to get this mortgage done in 15 years. But the order of operations will go student loan debt, then your mortgage. Okay. All right. Okay. Okay, we'll do. Thank you so much. You are welcome. Have a good one. Right, have a good night. All right. All right, we are going to call her from 516. So call her from 516. Make sure you talk to me straight through the phone, whatever device you're listening to. Go ahead and turn that down. So call her from 516. You are live on the air with Pocket Watching with JT. What's going on? Hey, Pocket Watcher. Uh, I'm happy that you answered my call. I, <laughs> oh, I'm happy I called. Uh, I just wanted to get your quick opinion. Is that okay? Mm -hmm. Go right ahead. All right. So I saw that you are you're showing a lot of the negative sides, well, the crazy negative sides on how we choose to spend our money. Okay. And I wanted to know why you think why in our in, in our um, what you call it why in our society that we tend to like once we save up the money we tend to just buy the most expensive version of something. <laughs> All right, well, okay, a couple of things. Number one, I, I'm going to give you a little pushback on the concept of saving up. Most people don't save up. Yeah. <laughs> they, they, If they save up for something, then they're saving up for maybe the required down payment. But if they could finance it 100%, they would finance it 100%. So I don't think very many people are saving up and getting the most expensive thing. They're maybe saving up for a down payment to get the most expensive thing. But to your main point, why do people choose to spend money the way that they do? And the general way that most people spend their money is that they spend money in a way to get the most expensive, the most baller thing possible of their options. Well, it comes from insecurity. Ultimately, when, when you break it all down, there's a, uh, there's a bunch of other stuff that I could talk about. But when you take away all the other things that are floating around that are orbiting the core issue, it's a sense of insecurity because they believe that they will gain a sense of worthiness through buying stuff. The more expensive stuff they can buy, the more that they can prove to the world that they are important, right? They believe the dollar yeah. value on a product also indicates its worth, right? So if you have a house that's worth a million dollars and another house is worth a hundred thousand dollars, well, well, clearly the dollar price shows the worth. Well, that may be when it comes to material things, but as individuals. We don't work that way. But there's too many people who equate the price tag on a consumer good to what's inside. Let me explain to people that that's not how it works. I have very high net worth clients, people who make millions of dollars, right? They still don't right. have a sense 
of self. Even though they have millions, like the people who are trying to keep up with the Joneses, the person who makes $45,000 a year or the person who makes $120,000 a year, they are spending their money in a way to make themselves look like the people who make millions of dollars. And I'm telling you, stop. You don't have to do this anymore because I know the people who make millions of dollars a year. And they don't know who they are when you take away all the stuff that they have. They are still searching for some sense of value. If we could, as a culture, get a sense of value that is not attached to a price tag on a consumer good, you'd probably see people spend money differently. But that that's the right. pocket watcher's opinion. That's 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 what I've seen in my practice. That's what I've seen in my personal life. When I started to value myself based off what I can produce in the world and stop trying to value myself based off what I can consume of the world, my spending habits change. And, and hopefully and I that can help. That's, uh, oh, so great. I also think it may end up being a learned behavior in a way. Yeah. Like as a child of immigrants, I've like, for some reason, compared to all my colleagues, I don't have a like, I don't really care about Nike. I don't care about Jordans. A new shoe comes out. I'm like, sure, I'm just going to stick with the ones I have. I run my shoes to the ground. <laughs> <laughs> they don't look good at the end of and then I and then I'm fighting to see if I should actually throw it out and buy a new pair of shoes. Because right. I'm like, that's what you waste my money, you know? These shoes can still go another few steps. Right, right. But right. then I see my um a friend of mine mm-hmm. who would buy he would he would just spend more, like he would work mm-hmm. his butt off. And I was I always thought like, hey, you know you understand the value of your time. You're you spent you spent legit two days Right, two three days because he got like an eighteen. He he gets paid eighteen dollars a month, makes about three hundred every three days. You know, rough mm-hmm. estimate. He spent three of his hard working days to buy one shoe. Right, right. It, his his time equated to that shoe. Right. When when you put it into that that space, I think people should understand. It's like, hold on, I work three days. Right, eight hour shifts. I'm assuming. Three days. Yeah. For one pair of shoes. All that time, one pair of shoes. But once again, you can ask that person, you know, three or four months down the road, did that pair of shoes make you whole? Like, what? what's the thing that you're going to buy that you're done and you're able to say, you know what? I feel complete. I feel like I'm done with consumerism and I can buy the off-brand thing now because I'm complete. And the answer is no, because there it never happens. You will never be complete if you're searching for that missing piece of yourself through consumerism, because there's always going to be something new. There's always going to be a new game. There's always going to be a new bag. There's always going to be a new car. There's always going to be something new. So consumerism will never quench your thirst for self-fulfillment. Uh, it will never, because there will always be something new. You have to find self-fulfillment through some kind of mission statement within yourself. Why do you believe, religious or not, 
You know, you can say, why do you believe God put you here? Why do you believe the universe put you here? Whatever you subscribe to, right? Why are you here? Are you here simply to buy stuff, then die? Or are you here to impact the world in a way where when you leave, you made it better? And buying stuff will never do that. It just won't. Buying stuff for yourself. Now, if you're buying stuff for other people <laughs> in a charitable way, yes. But buying stuff for yourself will never make the world a better place. But as you know, that, you that's go, me. That's, 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 that's how I look at it. But hey, man, thank you there for you calling. Go, I appreciate you, it. Yeah, man. No problem. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. All right, we're going to get through these calls, people, but I ain't going to be on all night. You got two hours of my time, so you got another hour. We're coming up on the on, on the second hour, so I'm not going to be here all night, but I'm going to go through these calls. I got a caller from 510, caller from 678, then caller from 323. Make sure you talk to me straight to the phone uh, and turn down your device. So caller from 510, you are live on the air with Pocket Watching with JT. What's going on? Hey, JT. <clears throat> I uh, I created an account with the IRS, and mm -hmm. um, I was listening to you maybe about two weeks, three weeks ago, and you stated that we could get the amount we owed via that account with the IRS, and that mm -hmm. was the most, the least inexpensive way to get the results. Right. So when I checked it, there was a zero balance, but it only went back to 2018. Now, was that correct? Is that as far back as they go? Or? No, no, not uh -huh. as, uh, I got a couple of questions for you. The debt that you owe, is that debt based on you yourself or is that a debt that could be based on you and a spouse? Myself. Okay, so the debt's just yourself. Okay, so that's off the table. What year was the year where this debt occurred? Um, 2006, between 2006 and 2000, well, 2004, early 2000s, I think. Okay. Yeah. Well, there's a chance, <laughs> there's a chance if you filed the tax return on time, that a chance that the statute of limitations on that debt is up. The IRS only has 10 years to come after you for that debt based on the time that the debt actually hit your account, okay? So if you filed on time, you were talking about you filed in 2006, back in 2007, and then 10 years from that gets you to 2017. We're in 2022. So that could, your, your account could be correct. But this is what I suggest that you do just to make sure, all right? Just to make sure at this point, You've already uh, took a look at your what we call your uh, your account, right? Your, your transcript account online, and you see that there's no debt whatsoever showing up on your transcript account, right? Right. Okay, and you haven't received any notice from the IRS saying that you owe them, right? Right. Okay. So the last thing that I would suggest for you to do, you can either call the IRS, which listen, you want to get up in the morning and call them as early as possible, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. I, I believe no matter what time zone you're in, that line starts at like 7 a.m. So call it 7 a.m. And what you want to do is request a uh, a compliance check, 
That's what it's called, right? You want a compliance check. You just want to make sure that every tax return that should be filed is filed. And if you have any outstanding balance and the agent on the line will let you know if you are in compliance, meaning all the tax returns are filed and if you have a balance. Now, being in compliance doesn't mean you don't owe anything. Being in compliance just means you don't owe a missing tax return. Then they will also let you know if you owe a balance. They will also tell you uh, what the balance is on what year that balance is. And they will tell you the statute of limitation date. They'll tell you this is the date where it will fall off. So they'll give you all that information over the phone for free. You just got to have the patience to call in. Okay. Oh, great. Okay. Thanks. All right. You are welcome. Thanks mm -hmm. for calling. Thank you. Bye. All right. All right. So let me see here. We got caller from three, two, three, then caller from two, one, four. So caller from three, two, three. You are live on air. What's going on? How are you doing, Mr. JT? This is uh, Walter. Uh, is, uh, well, hold on, hold on, Walter. Hold on. Uh, you, you sound a little far okay. away. Now, I'm going to turn up my, my yeah, mic yeah. so I can hear you, but you sound a little far away. It's hard for me to hear you. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, try one more time. Yes, hello. Can you hear me uh, better? That's better. Go right ahead. Okay, so uh, my my main question, I'm going to keep it brief. Um, cause I'm consi I have three properties, you know, uh, two rental properties, one primary residence. Okay. I'm considering getting a loan out. So what's your experience cause, um, on HELOCs versus refinancing and what's, you know, like, you know, just like, yeah. you know, like broad general advice. Like that's my, that's, that's my only question. I got you. All right. Before I answer that question, I've got a question for you. Okay. So obviously uh, you need some money. What, why do you need this money? That's my first question. Yes. Yeah. Why Why do you need the money? What's the money for? What are you going to do with this money? Yeah, that's pretty much it. Like, you know, okay, so not to say I want to gamble, but I do want to kind of like take money out and invest and, you know, see what it do. Invest, it. invest in what? Uh, Stocks. You know. So let's just say hypothetically, I get fifty thousand. You know, probably like invest like twenty five on like options, and like, you know twenty five on you know index fund. <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> that that's that. <laughs> Don't do it. Don't do what you say you're gonna do. I'm still gonna answer your question, but what I'm telling you okay, is yeah, don't no, no. do it. That's not that's not a viable. Because understand? Okay, listen. You put money into these properties. You got three properties. One is your personal residence and two are rental properties. Are those rental properties yes, cash uh, flowing? Yeah. Well, yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. So you're telling me at the end of the month, after you collect your rent and you pay whatever liabilities or expenses that you have on those two rental properties, are you telling me there's still money left over? Yes, it is. Uh -huh. What are you doing with that money? Um, okay, because pretty much uh, half it goes to my primary residence. Okay, and the other half? Yeah, like, you know, uh, like if you were to if you were to add up um, all my expenses and even my rental properties, I, you know, I'm still paying maybe like a thousand dollars. You know, I mean, on my own. You know, like like I'm still I still gotta pay about a thousand dollars on my own um, my own um, you know property. 
right. So 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 you're you're, you're not you don't have you don't have a positive net flow. I mean cash flow because your your money's going somewhere. The no, no, the little no. bit of cash flow that you do have, you're you're paying your own personal mortgage with. Yes. Okay. Why do you think borrowing money, which will increase the amount of money that you have to pay, would put you in a better position? Mm, no. Okay. You know that's something I was. You know, I didn't think about. You know, I'm a grown man. I can't think about that. So I'm like, you know, that's something to think about. So. All right. Now here's here's another thing. What is the interest rate that they're offering you for the HELOC or the refi? No, I think the HELOC was about five. Like last time I checked, it was about five. All right, and the refi. Yeah, but the refinance. I mean, no, I think they're. You know, it wasn't that much difference. Like it, it was, was about the like, same. You know, five and six. I mean, it's cool. Yeah. Okay. All right. So what do you think you would get as a return if you invested the money in the options or just in the market? No, I'm thinking with the options might be a little bit, you know, more lucrative than the uh than the regular market or whatever. And mind you, I'm new, so this you know, I might be ignorant too. Um, yeah. but I'm thinking uh, you know, at least uh like, you know, I'm thinking conservatively I should be able to get at least fifteen percent like I was saying. You say sixteen? If I do like a two year, uh, two year lease. Listen, I might be getting disconnected, by the way. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, there's a yeah, it might be uh, there, there's a little back, yeah. but now my phone is about to, it's okay. It's like, I'm gonna answer you. It sounds like your phone's about to cut up, but don't worry about it. Just listen to me. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna let you go. Just listen to me, and I'm still gonna answer your question. All right, so for those of you who are still watching, and I'm and hopefully he still, still hears me or he'll watch the replay. Listen. So, yeah, you, you got to do things in order. The temptation to do things out of order is what makes a person live paycheck to paycheck. The temptation to do things out of order is what leads people to be in debt. In this brother's situation, you know, right now he's got three properties, two personal, I mean, one personal, two rentals. The money that he's getting off the rental property as of right now isn't even enough for him to pocket real money because whatever he pockets, he has to actually use for his own home, right? His own personal mortgage. So there's no money kind of really left to invest. Well, if he was to pull money from the properties, what does that mean? <laughs> that means he'll have more money that he's going to have to pay every month than what he does now in the hopes that how the way that he's going to invest it in options or whatever is going to make him enough money. One, he could lose the money. Like, let, let, let's not forget that part. What if he lost the money in the investment? But let's say he does win. That win would have to be enough to not only pay off the new debt that he has, there's got to be something left over. You got to weigh the risk and the and the reward. The risk is he could end up losing what he already has. It's not worth the maybe reward. So that's that. All right. So so HELOC versus uh, refinancing. Well, when you get to HELOC, the HELOC is like turning your home or your property into a credit card. You have a line of credit. You can use some. You can put it back, back and forth like that depending on the terms, if it's like two years or whatever it is, you've got this HELOC that you're basically turning your real estate 
into a credit card. Not a big fan of that anyway, because I'm not a big fan of turning this asset, especially your personal home, into a credit card. Because you're, you'll be too tempted to buy consumer stuff and then put yourself in a situation where you can lose your home. But the same thing with a refi. The difference between the refi, the refi is you're literally, you're getting a new loan for your home, right? You're, you're pressing the reset button, right? You're saying, okay, I got a 30-year mortgage. I'm eight years in. I'm going to refi. I'm going to press the reset button. And now I'm going to do 30 years on the new balance that I have. Not a big fan of that either in a general sense, because you're simply kicking the can down the road. You may have a uh, a smaller mortgage, but in his situation, he wouldn't have that much smaller of a mortgage because he's pulling money out. So those are the main differences between the two. And personally, I wouldn't advise you to do either one of them, even if whatever investment you had, I thought was more of a high probability that you would make money. I would still say not do it. I would say you need to find a way to get cash flowing positive so that the money that you have left over at the end of the month, that's what you should be using to invest. Don't try to turn your uh, real estate into a credit card in a general sense. All right, call it from 214. You're next. After 214, it's 719. So here we go. Caller from 214 Area Code. You're live on the air. What's going on? Hi. Uh, can you guys hear me? Yes. Go right ahead. Hi. I don't know if it's like too late to ask this question, but uh, basically what happened is I didn't get one stimulus check. I thought there was only two, but turns out there was three and I didn't get the second one. I tried to reach the IRS for months and I can't get anybody on the phone. Should I hire an accountant or a lawyer or something? Uh, not yet. Not, not, not yet because we're expensive. <laughs> and I'm going to try to find a way to help you <laughs> that's going to be cheap before you got to go that route. Because, the, I mean, which one did you miss? Because there was the first one, which was 1200 There was the second one that was uh -huh. 600 And then there was the third one that was 1400 which one did you not get? I missed the second one because instead of direct depositing it like they did the other two, they did this weird thing where they put it on a payable card that was sent to an address I was no longer living at. Oh. Therefore, I, I don't know where $3,800 went. Okay. All right. So you did not receive the second stimulus that would have been $600 per person in your household on your tax return, right? Yes. Okay. So my first suggestion to you would be call the IRS. You're going to do a uh, a refund trace. What they're going to do is it's going to take some time. You better, hey, put, put your big girl pants on because it's going to take some time. Don't think this is a one or two week fix because this is what's going to happen. You're going to explain and let them know, hey, I never got the second stimulus. They're going to say, well, we sent it to you. And you're going to say, I never got it. They're going to say, okay, now we're going to do a refund trace where they are going to review all the documents they have to see if the money went to you. So they're going to take a look and see, okay, did someone ever use that card? Well, if no one ever used that card, 
and you say you didn't have it, then they're going to do the trace and find a way to uh, get it to you. Okay. Because I'm assuming you already filed your 2020 tax return. Is that correct? I did. And on it, I said that I didn't receive it, but <laughs> something weird happened. I called, I tried to call them for days, reached them one time mm -hmm. where they, you know, that's how they explained to me that they did this. They gave me an account number and a routing number, told right. me to call a company that was supposed to like, uh, I guess it's a contractor they use for the prepaid cards. Right. The company said they, they had no idea who I was. They could not use the routing number and the account number I provided them to trace back my account. I lost the document, attempted to call back the IRS, mm -hmm. and it's been weeks and nobody ever picks up. It's always, oh, we, we got too many people okay. to speak to you, regardless of if it's 1 a.m., 7 a.m., it's always a million people calling. All right. Before you contact a, a, a tax advisor, be you know accountant or a lawyer, this is uh, the next step mm -hmm. that I would tell you to do. You need to get in contact with the taxpayer advocates office. Okay. Uh, okay. Depending on the city or state that you live in, there's going to be a taxpayer advocates office. Now, it, it depends on where you are, though, <laughs> because I'm in the state of Missouri. There's two taxpayer advocates offices. I just happen to be in one of the major cities of this state that the office is literally like three blocks from my office. So it's easy for me. But if someone lived in a more rural area of the state, it would be harder for them to get there because there's not like a taxpayer advocate's office in every city. But it's OK because most of them are only doing business through the phone anyway. So you want to go to the IRS website or you can simply Google the taxpayer advocate's office near you. Right. You're going to pull, get their information mm -hmm. and you're going to either call them or you can fax in a form 911. Kind of easy to remember. Form 911 is your formal request for the uh, for the taxpayer advocate's office to open up a case for you. The Taxpayer Advocates Office is a division within the Internal Revenue Service where their sole purpose is to help resolve issues that taxpayers have with the IRS. Now, understand this. They are not the get me my refund people. They do not like people treating <laughs> them. Listen, I, tell you, I deal with them all the time. They do not like people to treat them as the get me my refund people. They don't care about your refund. What they do care about is that you are not getting what you want from the IRS, which, which is the processing of your claim for the uh, impact payment number two. Okay. That's the issue that you're having right now. The issue, the main issue, I mean, clearly you want the money, but they don't care about getting you the money. They care about the fact that you're contacting the IRS and you're trying to get a trace done to the payment that they sent you, and you're not getting that accomplished. They will help you with that. Mm -hmm. And with helping you with that, you ultimately get your money. But don't contact the taxpayer advocate complaining about you didn't get the, your money because they're just going to route you to someone else. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, I'll make sure I do that. Thank you so much. I don't think I would have ever found out about it without you. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's listen, I've been doing this for years. But yeah, taxpayer advocate office. 
Uh, you can either fax them and you can fill out the form 911. You can go to an IRS form 911, or you can simply call them, leave them a message, make sure you give them your contact information in the message, and they're supposed to call you within like three business days. Doesn't mean that your case is going to be open and they're going to be doing anything, but they will contact you normally around three business days. Okay. Okay. Thank you. All right. You have a good one. All right. Let me see. All right. Caller from 719. Caller from 719. You are live on the air with Pocket Watching with JT. What's going on? Yes. Pocket Watching with JT. Um, I have a small taxi business. Mm -hmm. And I didn't make a lot of money. And this first year, I probably made like 7000 at best, I think. After you all know? your after all and your so expenses, I, you made about 7000 like yes, okay. yes. Like um, uh. So I didn't file taxes. Should I file taxes on this, or yes. should I? Is it true that you can wait three years? No, no. <laughs> no. Let me let me explain that. All right. So when the three year thing is based on a refund claim, okay. Oh. You have a statute of limitations to get a refund from the IRS for three years. Meaning, if you wait four years to file a tax return where the IRS owes you money, they don't have to give you the money, even if you they owe oh. you a million dollars. See, that's the difference between you and the IRS. The IRS has a statute of limitation of 10 years to collect from you. You have three years to collect from them. Okay? Now, that's still not your situation just yet. Because even though you only made $7,000, if you were a W-2 employee and you made $7,000, you really wouldn't have a need to file your tax return other than to claim a refund, okay? Okay. But you're not a W-2 employee. Okay. You're self-employed. And being that you're self-employed, that means you, you don't owe income tax on $7,000, Okay. Because you're, that's under the threshold of whatever deduction you're going to use. If you itemize your deductions or if you take the standard deduction, right? If you're single and you take the standard deduction, standard deduction is over $12,000. So that means you're not going to owe income tax. But because you're self-employed, you could very well owe self-employment tax, which is Social Security and Medicare tax. That I'm pretty sure you do okay. owe. OK, so you need to file every year and you need to file on time because you're getting hit with a penalty in interest because you have not filed on time yet. Now, the amount of uh, self-employment tax that you're going to owe, it's not that much. I'm sure you could probably write a check and pay it. It's not going to be a whole lot. But the longer you wait, the more it's going to grow in penalties and interest. That's what you don't want to do. Okay. Nice. So last question. Is is it true that I can write this car off? Is that true? Ah, so, so. So uh, is this a car that you use 100% for? Uh, for 100%. Okay. And does the car weigh, does the car weigh more or less than 6,000 pounds? It's, it's a uh, economy car, so probably. Probably about. less. 
probably a little less. Probably yeah. less. All right, so here's the deal. You're not going to be able to write off the full cost of the car right now, okay? What you're going to be able to do, you get an option between actual expenses and depreciation, okay? So what, whoever you go to, uh, you know, for your tax preparation, make sure that they're an accountant that actually knows what the hell they're talking about. Not a tax prep person. You want someone who who knows what they're what they're doing, because you don't get both. Meaning, you got your actual expenses, meaning your fuel, your repairs, that type of stuff, taxes, all that okay. stuff. Or you can take depreciation, which is a lot of that's going to be your mileage. You get like over fifty cents a mile. You get either or, you don't oh. get both. And what a good accountant is going to do, they are going to look through all of your expenses and they're also going to look at your mileage. And really the software is going to do a lot of this too. The software, if they enter it incorrectly, the software <laughs> is going to tell them which one makes the most sense, which one is going to give you the bigger deduction. So what you need to focus on is making sure that you provide your accountant with the most accurate information about how much your fuel cost was, any repairs that you had during the year, any supplies that you had to pay for, even washing the car and stuff like that. All of that stuff, you need to get that information to the accountant. And remember, the more organized your information, the less it's going to cost you. If you just drop off a box oh, of receipts wow. or if you... Um, you know, if you just try to give them your bank statements, I can tell you right now, it's going to cost you a lot of money to get that tax return prepared because normally we charge based on our time. If you can get that information okay. more organized to them. So I would suggest getting QuickBooks or something like that, where it will help organize the information. You give your accountant your QuickBooks file, then they can look through it and make sure everything makes sense most likely you can cut your invoice to that accountant by 30, maybe 40% if you have the information organized wow. rather than just dropping it in their lap. Okay. Right. So you're saying as a small business, I should have an I should pay for an accountant. Absolutely. You should, you should pay for an accountant to prepare your tax return, but you should pay for a bookkeeping software, which is like 20 bucks a month, to do the actual bookkeeping. Okay. Now, that if you have no idea how any of that works, then your accountant should set that up for you. Don't allow them to upsell you. I, I see this a lot of times too. An accountant, because you know they, they in it to make money, man. We in it to make money. And an accountant will upsell <laughs> a, a client and be like, oh yeah, not only am I going to do your tax return at the end of the year, I'm going to do your monthly bookkeeping too. Well, what are they really doing? What they're, what they're really doing is they're setting up your QuickBooks account for you. And then whenever you got a question, they press a couple buttons, but they're charging you a couple hundred dollars a month to do something that actually only costs maybe 20 or 30 bucks a month. Right. So oh. you want to you get set up on QuickBooks, manage that yourself, which basically all you got to do is link QuickBooks to your, your online uh, checking account for the business. And it's going to do pretty much 80 to 90% of the work for you. And then you hand that off to an accountant at either the end of the year or quarterly if you need help with your quarterly estimated tax payments. And then you got a much smaller invoice. Personally, me, I don't like to charge for that easy stuff because really it's just a waste of my time. 
I'd rather have you set up on QuickBooks and I get to deal with the higher level stuff where I can really bill a lot of money for than the low level stuff like that. So you, you got to get a feel for the type of accountant that you're dealing with. If they tell you, oh, don't worry about it. Pay me a couple hundred bucks a month to do your bookkeeping. You, you don't need that. All right. Okay. So is this some kind of uh, accountant fraternity? Like, do you know a good accountant in Colorado? <laughs> in Colorado, not not at the top of my head, but there there is. I am a member of the National Association of Black Accountants, and there's easy okay. ways where you can search that. I think you can actually go to the website because I think I got like they give us like listings, right? So it's it's NABA, right? Okay. National Association of Black Accountants. Just Google it, and you can go to the national website. And I think if you go to the national website you can click and say you're looking for an accountant and put in your zip code and we should pop up. So I, I, would, I would suggest Perfect. that. Yeah. So go to Napa.org. I think a Napa Inc.org. Just Google it and it'll pop up, but you'll be able to find a black guy. Cause that happens all the time. Uh, and, you know, in the St. Louis area, people will go to the national association of black accountants, St. Louis website saying that they're looking for a black accountant. And the administrator over the website will send us leads like that. So it happens all the time here locally. Oh. I have to assume they do the same thing in Denver. Yeah. Sounds good. Well, thank you for all the information, sir. Yeah, man. I'm, I'm full of useless information. Now, have fun, though, man. You know, thank you for calling. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> all right. No problem. All right. All right, people, I'm, I'm winding down. Oh, no, I'm not. I got another 30 minutes. Here we go. I right, going to get me tired here. All right, so here we go. Um, I got a caller from 813, and then I got a caller from a block number because it, it has all ones. So I'm going to I'm gonna take the caller from 813, and then I'm going to take the caller from a block number and see how that works. So caller from 813, you are live on the air. What's going on? Hi, good evening, JT. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for calling. Yes, I was calling because um, my husband and I, we um, recently filed um, bankruptcy this year and we were discharged and we're, we're just trying to start over. So I just wanted some tips on, on how to go about doing that. Um, I was at home as a mom with my kids and mm -hmm. my husband was the main income and now I have a part-time um, job. And so we're just trying to, you know, do things better, do things right off this time. All right. So my first question to you is, which bankruptcy did you go through? Chapter seven. All right. So for those of you who are unaware, there's chapter seven and there's chapter 13. Chapter 13 is a reorganization of debt, which basically means you get set up on a payment plan to get caught up on all your bills, right? And then after a certain period of time, when everyone's caught back up, that's the, you know basically the end of the bankruptcy. Then there's chapter seven. Chapter seven is what the general concept of bankruptcy is. Chapter seven is total liquidation. You give up any assets that you have other than things that are excluded and they chop up whatever's left to pay off whatever debts that there is. And that's it. If someone doesn't get paid off, which most of the time, most of the people don't get paid off in chapter seven bankruptcy, it's over. 
They can no longer come after you in the eyes of, you know, finance is you don't owe that money anymore because it was wiped away with the chapter seven. So you went through total liquidation, correct? Yeah. Okay. All right. So with this, it means that you were not forced to create a budget and become more fiscally responsible. It's not a personal thing. I'm just talking about if you go through chapter 13, that means you have to get set up on a payment plan. And in order for you to come out of chapter 13, that means that you are able to stick to a payment plan. That means you created a budget. In chapter seven, you weren't technically required to make certain payments. So my thing to you is the number one thing you need to do you need to have a brand new budget for this brand new financial life that you have. Have you and your husband figured out, okay, what is our budget? Yes, we have. We have sat down and we have um, made a budget. All right. Now with this budget, does every single dollar that comes in the household, does that dollar already have a job before you spend it? Yes, it does. <laughs> All right, I want to make sure. At this point, right. All right, because because yeah. because there's different types of budgets. The budget that you must be on, based on your situation, you have to have a zero uh, ending dollar amount at your end of your budget. Meaning, every dollar that comes, you have no spare money. Basically, spare money doesn't yeah. exist to you. Every single dollar that you make before it actually hits your hand already has a predestined spot. You already know where it's going. You already know, okay, we have this much money set aside for housing. We have this much money set aside for food. We also have this much money set aside for saving, and we have this much money set aside for entertainment. You don't do a dollar more than what the budget says because there's no more money. Every dollar that you have already has a spot, right? So if you're doing that, my question to you is, have you been able to build up a uh, emergency savings fund? Well, not as of yet. Um, I haven't started to work. Okay. So I'm still in the process of, you know, getting um, trained and everything. I'm still in the beginning processes for me. So we're basically, we just been living off of my husband's income. Okay. So before you start receiving a paycheck, how much money do you have in that budget we just talked about? How much money is set aside for saving? That, mm, well, I'd like to say uh, that it's like 1500 is what we're planning. But that has not happened as of yet because I haven't started to work. All right, yeah, but that's your working. That's, that's the budget. That's that. That's that budget that is created when you start working. We're not there yet. What about this budget that has to be in reality right now? The budget that you have right now, based solely on your husband's income, how much money do you have set aside for saving? Nothing at this point. All right, that's not a budget. All right, that's not a budget. If you don't have any money set aside for savings, that's not a budget. It's a, it's, it's, it's a, outline of what could be but it's not a budget yet okay when do you project your first paycheck's gonna come the first week of september 
Oh, you got some time. Yeah, not a whole lot of time, mm-hmm. but you got you got a couple of weeks. All right. So listen, mm-hmm. how often do you guys eat out at a restaurant? We try not to. We've we've really been trying to um not. So I'll say if we do, it's like maybe once a month. Because we really do try to eat at home. All right, that's good. I was I was about to I was about to yell at you, but that's that's good. Once a month, <laughs> once a month is is not bad. But you you need to find a way to work on this budget because you're going to be bringing in about how much a month? Uh, about twelve hundred because it's part time. Okay, so so you're budgeting your whole <laughs> your whole income is going towards savings. Yeah, basically, I could I could be the one. That's what we're we're trying to do for for my income to be the savings. All right, but listen, that to me that means you really don't have a budget. All right, you don't you, you don't have a budget. My my suggestion to you go go to my website, go to pocketwatcher.net, click the Pocket Watcher Academy, enroll in the um the financial planning course that I got there. Within that course, and it's free. Let, let me make that clear. It's free. There's there's a section okay. in there where I really talk about budgets and the the real components of a budget and how to set it up. Because right now you're banking on 100% of your new income to be going towards savings. So if that's the case, mm-hmm. you really don't have a budget on the books with your husband's income. You're still not spending crazy based on what you're telling me but you're not truly at a budget point yet okay all right and i'm gonna tell you right now if you go to work even at part-time if you go to work and you're busting your butt and you're working and 100 of your money is going towards savings and there's no new money to help your lifestyle there's going to be an issue sooner or later because no one wants to go to work and not feel like they're being rewarded okay it's just, it, it yeah. may work for a couple of months, but then sooner or later, there's going to be a problem. And you need to pull your money together and a portion of the money that he makes and a portion of the money that you make go towards saving. You can't just look at it as like all of your money goes towards savings because there's going to be an imbalance there. And money and the way that we have a relationship with money is very psychological. It's not just logical. It's psychological. I mean, it's going to have a lot of emotion attached to it. And you don't want to be in a situation. I mean, when's the last time you was in the workforce? Uh, it's been a while. It's been close to 12 years. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've been at home. Listen, it's been, it's been a while since you've been in the workforce. You don't want to be in a position where it's like he got his money and you got your money. That's not That's not the case. You, the two of you mm-hmm. together have money and then you're yeah. going to pull okay. your money together okay. and then there's going to be a yeah. portion that's going to be obviously have to be set aside for creating your emergency savings fund, but it's going to be together and not just your money going towards that. Okay. All right, so a couple of things just, just to tighten it up. So obviously, I want you to you know go online and take a look in the course that I do. I got a couple of videos in there that talk about uh, you know saving and uh, creating a budget. But after you get that budget in place, you really want to make sure that you're taking a look at other options that you have 
with making your money stretch a little further than maybe you did in the past, right? Buying certain yeah. things and yeah. yeah, buying certain things in bulk, making sure that you have uh, pre-planned uh, entertainment, not on a whim, but pre-plan your entertainment. Meaning, if you know, maybe go to a park or go to certain things that are free, and you pack your lunch. These are things that people used to do back in the day that was common sense, which would look odd today because once again, far too many people value their own self-worth based on what they can buy. Y'all yeah. got to get out of that. Yeah. <laughs> right? I think you're probably already out of it because you <laughs> declared bankruptcy and you came to that come yeah. to Jesus moment. And it's like we are way outside of what we can do financially. So let's file bankruptcy. So step one, great. Step two is embracing the lifestyle of money does not define your self-worth. The things that you can buy does not define you. You can find um, meaningful relationships. You can have meaningful experiences that don't cost a lot of money. You need to embrace that and as long as you embrace that, you won't end back up in the same uh, situation. But you got to be a zealot at it. You got to the same way that a person has to be 100 percent committed to getting into shape. You have to be 100 mm -hmm. percent committed as a couple and as a family. The kids yeah. got to buy in, too. Right. Everybody. Everybody yeah. got to get on the same page. Kids got to buy in, too. But everybody has to be on the same page of this is the lifestyle of our family. And there's got to be open uh, lines of communication because the kids may come home one day and be like, eh, you know, they, they're messing with me because I don't have the brand new shoes. Or your, your husband might be like, man, I saw a car. I saw this. Now, that line of communication has to be open because you don't want a situation where someone is building up all this resentment. And then the second you get a little bit more cash, they're, they're, they're off it's to it. It's, it's gone. <laughs> open communication yeah. and you can also you need to also plan your opportunities to splurge have fun but yeah you guys are on a five to six year mission of building back up financially you're starting from zero which is cool at least you're not starting from negative you're starting from zero yeah. but it means you as a family not just you as an individual your husband or even even as a married couple as a whole family your identity and your self-worth is not defined by what you can buy. As long as you have that mindset, everything else falls into place. Okay? Thank you. Thank you so much. Sure. You are more than welcome. Thank you for calling. All right? Okay. All right. All right, people. We're wrapping it up. We're wrapping it up. No more calls. I'm tired. No more calls. But thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Uh, make sure you guys hit the like button. I'm not done yet because I'm going to answer one more email. I got another, what, 10 minutes here. I got another email that I'm going to answer. But if you could, please, just make sure you guys hit the like button. That helps the algorithm. Uh, I got a question from Terry. All right, here we go. Um, well, Terry, I got to go back to your question because you're asking me to investigate somebody. And there's no way I'm going to have time to investigate someone tonight. Just, we're not doing that. Uh, okay, I got a question from Antonio. Antonio says, hey, JT, I'm debt-free. Congratulations. Working for minimum wage uh, in my country. Oh, you in a whole other country. You're in uh, Trinidad. Shouts out to you in Trinidad. 
Uh, renting on my own uh, $1,400 a month and make $5,000 a month. I have $4,000 saved in a liquid emergency fund and $1,800 on shares in a credit union. Okay. How can I start investing? I have access to international markets. And where where is the best place for me to keep my emergency savings fund? Oh man. Okay. Well, listen. You're in another country, so I'm. I gotta. I gotta make sure that some of this stuff is relevant to you. But emergency savings fund, definitely, Antonio. You want to have that in a cash account. So a cash account at your credit union should be fine. I'm assuming you have access to a savings account or a money market account with your uh, credit union. So you want to do that. As far as investing, man, I mean, I don't even know how to tax work in Trinidad. Are, are you self-employed? Do you have, I mean, listen, <laughs> check and see if there's a certified financial planner in your country. There's certified financial plans all over the world. Uh, they would probably be able, because I'm, li I'm limited within my scope to deal with people who are either in the U.S. or their tax base is in the U.S. Because there's international stuff that I'm not going to be aware of unless it's like, you know, I know I'm aware of some, certain stuff in Canada and I'm aware of certain stuff in Mexico because they're so close. But, you know, Trinidad, I, I, I don't have any experience with clients in uh, Trinidad. But as far as your emergency savings fund, you want to have that in cash. And the other investing stuff, I mean, obviously you're going to have access to if you're, you know, to equities in the US the same way I have access to equities in the UK or equities in other countries. Uh, but the way you're going to do that, uh, check with a certified financial planner in your country. That's the best I can do with that. All right, guys, I'm going to wrap it up. Been about two hours. I want to say thank you. Hold on. Let me check the chat. If there's any super chats in the uh, chat uh, that I missed because I was taking all those calls, I'm going to check real quick. So just hold tight and I'm going to go through. Big shouts out to everybody here. Uh, KDH, thank you so much. Great moderator of the channel. Thank you so much for all that you do. Uh, let me see here. Da, 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 da. We got Larry, Larry Smith in the building. What's up, Larry? I've been seeing you in, in the comments, man. You're active. Uh, thanks for coming through, Larry. Uh, let me see. Now I read that one. Debt free dad. That's what's up. I think I got all the super chats. If I didn't email me, because <laughs> I know y'all email me. If I didn't get your super chat, I apologize. But going through checking. Oh, we got Uncle Stu in the building. Here we go. Uncle Stu, salute uh, to the chat and the panel. I will send the link in the morning. Uh, supporting the stream. Thank you, Uncle Stu. I'll, I'll be on Uncle Stu's channel at some point, I guess. Send me the uh, send me the email. I'll be over there on Uncle Stu's channel very, very soon. Send me the email. Uh, let me see here. Make sure I got everybody. All right. I think I got everybody. I think I got it. If I don't, send me an email or something. Uh, big shout out to all of the members of my YouTube channel. Thank you guys so much for uh, supporting this content. Uh, thank you to each and every one of you. You see yourselves on the screen from 
elevated, elevate together from Ron, the FamCon network. Man, now I got to read all of your names. Uh, Reagan Lee, new to the building. Uh, all you guys, Roy, Justin, Mr. Hill, By Ben, the uh, TSM Sports and I believe management, I forget, uh, USA Livestream TV, Martez Blue, Lady Buck, 92 Castro, Six Paths, uh, Commandments, uh, Theodore Jones III, uh, Mr. Spencer, all of you guys, thank you so much. Marcus, I can't, can't leave out Marcus, the CFA in the building, Dance Fitness, all of you guys, thank you so much. Watch me, Riri, all of you guys, Gold and Rihanna Wise, Jacob, Clarissa, Mike and, and Mella, all of you guys, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Me and Orlando will be back Wednesday night at 8 p.m. Y'all take it easy till then. The pocket watcher is out.